morning, Bel Air. Hey, why don't you pull out your cell phone if you have one, whether you're joining us online or you are here in person. You can actually pull it out. I'm, I'm serious. Pull it, out, pull it out, pull it out. If you were here with us last week, we had an opportunity to uh, extend our reach to people way beyond what we could do individually. And I want you to, now that you've got this out, I want you to think about somebody in your life that maybe it's been a while since you've connected with them. Maybe you haven't... Uh, responded to their phone call or text for a while, somebody that you know perhaps is going through something in this season, why don't you play your phone and send them a text? You're thinking about them. Maybe you send the text of, hey, let's, let's catch up later today. Maybe it's, you know, I'm sorry. I know it's been a while, but I want to make things right. Maybe some of you are like, I'm in a church and there's a pastor telling me to pull out a phone. You're the first person I thought of, so there you go. I'm sending you a text. I texted my dad last week. He texted back, said, son, aren't you preaching your sermon? I'm going to text him again. I don't text him enough. I don't call him enough. Because the reality is that you have access to people in your life that I don't. That you know people in your life that are in need that I don't. That actually you are a more trusted voice in somebody else's life above and beyond my voice. And it's these little steps, these little things that we can do to actually make a difference in our lives. And so as we gather in this place, as we prepare to be transformed by God's Word, let's pray that this has impact today. Would you pray with me? God, we ask that this little moment together as we send these words of encouragement, of love, of asking for forgiveness, God, whatever it is, that you would multiply it for your glory, that you would use it for your love, that it would be a catalyst for transformation in ways that we can't even imagine. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your love. Would we leave here changed today because of who you are? In Jesus' name we pray and we say together, amen. Why don't you open up your Bibles uh, if you brought them with you, if you have a mobile device, and we know many are joining us online today. We're going to Romans 12, verse 12. And if you don't have a Bible, there's a red one right in front of you, or if you are in the pews with us today, would love for you to take that home with you. Would much rather you own a Bible, have access to that, than have it sit here all week. Or if you know anybody in your life that does not own a Bible, take one of those and give it to them. We find that in God's Word, we find the fullness of not only who God is and this life that God invites us into, but we get a sense of who we are. And as I read for us in a moment, Romans chapter 12, verse 12, it's on page 923 in your pew Bibles. I want to remind all of you that we are in a series right now called Start Small, Start Now as we begin to change, as we begin to see the life that God longs for us to live. And last week we heard from Scripture in Romans 12, 11, what it would look like for us to serve passionately. And today, if you can consider this, though it's in a four-part series, this is the first of two, right in the heart of this series. That today is about 
praying continually. And next week, about loving differently. You see, the reality is that God has called us to look and live and love differently than the rest of the world. And as we prepare for next week, as we begin to see how we can love differently, the people can actually look at us and say, wow, there's something about them that we would know that it begins right here, right now, as we become a people of prayer. So let me read this. This is the Apostle Paul to a church in Rome nearly 2,000 years ago. Such relevance for us today. Simply verse 12 of chapter 12. It says this. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. This, my friends, concludes the reading of God's Word. All right, so we read this, short and sweet. Let's, let's begin to unpack this. So I, w- I want you to imagine that, that first section in Paul's day, in the first century, it says rejoice in hope. Now, we can define hope today, but I want to let you know how they defined hope in the first century in a Greco-Roman worldview. You see, you've got to understand the world that Paul is writing from. Well, in the first century, as there is today, there was a world filled with a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear. When they considered the future, there were so many unknowns. And so the word in the Greek language that we translate into hope, actually, in the first century, in the Greek world, was a negative word. It had to do with the future, yes, but it wasn't a positive word. It was a word that they used in the Greek culture to describe a future that was unknown, therefore caused anxiety and worry and fear. Now, though we live 2,000 years removed from that situation and that culture, how many of you show of hands, and I can't see online, but put those hands up anyway, how many of you, when you think about the future, get a little worried, get a little anxious, get a little fearful? Okay. Now, some of you, you didn't raise your hands because you were fearing what would happen if you raised your hand, right? I know, that's what it is, right? Yes, I see you. Look, we worry about the future. It's what we do. It's, it's, it's humanity. No matter when you live or where you live, no matter how good you have it, we're in the top 1% of the world. And people might look at us and say, you worry? What? You see, as humans, we worry. We're anxious. Anything unknown, we have no idea how it's going to play out. Well, the word that the Greeks used was the word we translate into hope, and Paul says to rejoice in it. Now, the first century hears if they were Greek, if they didn't get raised in a Jewish background, they would say, what? Okay, that's, that's the first century understanding of the word hope. Now, let's, let's hop in a time machine and show up today. How do we talk about hope? Well, it's a much more positive word. It's, it's a word that typically is to downplay anxiety and downplay worry. We talk about hope. In fact, uh, how many of you saw the recent Star Wars, Rogue One? You see that? It says, rebellions were built on hope. It's this word that gives us excitement and possibility. We have a ministry through one of the members of our church, Jane Catherine Wolf. They started a nonprofit. It's called Hope Heals. It's a much more positive word. But we've got to be very careful to understand what Paul is exactly talking about because sometimes we can hijack that word in our culture and make it something completely different than what Paul is talking about, completely different than what God wants for us. 
I'd say the predominant definition of the word hope today actually has more to do with wishful thinking. It actually has more to do with, I'm going to do this scratcher. I'm going to put down the numbers and I hope, I hope I'm going to be the winner. You know, in fact, as a, as a kid, as I grew up, I'm not part of the church predominantly, you know, as I studied different world religions, different philosophies, one of the things that I really resonated with at the time with perhaps many of you might be familiar with or many of you are doing, it's this idea that if you just visualize hard enough, if you just imagine yourself, nothing but net, if you just imagine yourself getting that part, if you just imagine yourself getting that person, if you just imagine yourself getting that opportunity, if you just imagine it hard enough and long enough, you will actualize it into reality. Many people define hope that way, that actually if you just, if you just, if you just narrow in your focus on that thing and if you just do these techniques, that this is going to be the best year. And there's podcasts and resources and books and all these things that help us actualize the future that we want. And we put that under the definition of hope. And that can seep into the church and we can begin to pray, God, I pray that this will happen in my life. God, I, I want it to happen so bad and if I just focus long enough and if I just pray long enough, it's going to be... Okay, it's not here. I'm just going to pray harder and longer. I'm going to try this technique and it's going to be... And I'm just going to try harder and I'm going to do this and all of a sudden, okay, I'm done with prayer. That's what I hear all the time. As pastors, we hear this all the time. What am I doing wrong that this isn't happening? I'm trying. I'm doing the Christian thing. I'm praying. I want it to happen. I want my marriage to be made whole. I want to find that person. I want my boss to be not awful. <laughs> it's not happening. They're getting worse. What's going on? That's not what Paul's talking about. This is not about actualizing our future to happen. What Paul is saying when he says to rejoice in hope, and he is absolutely clear, and this is what Scripture says from beginning to end, when you hope in something, it's not worrying about the future. It's not wishful thinking about the future. It's resting in what has already happened. Now, the Apostle Paul is revealing to us a way to deal with life, not only to deal with life, but to thrive in life. And he says, there's going to be things that are going to happen in your life. There's going to be things that you want that you don't have. There's going to be all these experiences you're going to go through in relationships and at work, personally, professionally, things that are public, things that are private, and these things Actually, God has given you a resource. God has given you a power to navigate through. And the first thing you got to do is you've got to rejoice in hope. To ground yourself in something that has already happened. What do I mean by that? This is the beauty of what Scripture reveals to us, that we serve a God that is outside of time. God exists in the eternal now. Wrap your mind around this, if you can. I can't wrap my mind around this. That God is eternally present. Somehow, God can be present with God speaking all of creation into existence. God can be present when Jesus was born. God can be present when Jesus hung on a cross. God can be present when each of you were born. 
God can be present at the moment you give your life to Christ. God can be present in this moment right now. And God can be present with you at the same time this week when you step out in faith. And God's going to be present with you at the end of your life. And God's going to be present with you throughout all of eternity. And God speaks a promise to us that is as good, not as if it already happened, it has happened from God's point of view. And you can trace this from Genesis all the way through Revelation. Think about this. God goes to Moses after hearing the nation of Israel crying out in slavery. And he says to Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and I want you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Basically, to go to the most powerful leader in the world and say, you know, your free workforce, your labor that's building your empire, building your pyramids, that's making a name and a glorious kingdom for yourself, tell him that his labor force is going somewhere else. Why would Moses say yes? Scripture says he stepped out in faith. And as he stepped out in faith, he stepped out with the hope that God was good for God's word. You see, if I was to tell you, hey, I'm going to call you at 9 a.m. on Monday, things could get in the way. Things could come up. If somebody says to you in your life, hey, I'll, I'll be there at noon, I promise, I won't be late. Even if, even if they promise, they might be late because sometimes things come up. You see, when God promises something, God alone is good for God's word, perfectly, all the time. Because God steps outside of time, God actually stays outside of time all the time and steps into it to be present with us. But when God speaks, I will do this, it's because God already has. When God says to Moses, lead my people to the promised land, God is at the same time seeing them in the promised land worshiping him. And so when you are a person that rejoices in hope, what you are doing is you're putting your entire being, your mind, your soul, your energy, your focus on the one, Jesus Christ, who holds everything, the writer of Hebrews says, by the power of his word. And he says, if you follow me, I will not forsake you. In Romans 8, it says that nothing in all of, separate, in all of creation can separate you from my love. That when you rejoice and hope that you actually, you have courage now to step out this week and speak against injustice. To be bold in your love, even if it's unpopular. To encourage somebody at the risk of your reputation, at the risk of your job. If you were here with me last week, remember the story I shared? Go online if you missed it. There was a couple that said to me, I would rather lose my home than be disobedient to God. What's your threshold? What are you willing to, to not give up? Because you'd be disobedient to God. I mean, is it your reputation? Is it, is it a, a sphere of influence? Is it a job? Is it a home? Take a look at Romans 5. Turn there real quick. I'm going to go back a few pages. Romans 5, the Apostle Paul, same, same leader, same author, writes this, same letter to the church in Rome. Romans 5, verse 1. Let me read for us the first five verses of that chapter. It says, therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. 
And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Ready for this? And hope does not disappoint us because God, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Now look again right there, verse 5, when it talks about God's love, that it has been poured into our hearts. In the Greek language, the verb tense, you know, we've got past, present, and future. Well, the Greek language also has the perfect tense. And the perfect tense means that an action has been completed already. It's already done. It's already finished. It's completely done. I mean, all the work that it took for it to build up to be done, it's, it's all done. Think of all the work that goes into a house. It's, it's now done. Think about all the work that goes into building a boat. It's all done. Think about all the work that it costs in time and energy to build this sanctuary. It's now done. It's now finished. It has been. Perfect tense. It's already been completed. And now the implications for that completed action will be experienced now and for all of eternity. That's the perfect tense. You see, God's love has been. Perfect tense. It's already been poured into your hearts. You're going to spend the rest of eternity living into and experiencing the fullness of what that means. And so the Apostle Paul says that this hope that we have is based on something that has already happened. Not only from our view, the past, but also what will happen in the future. Because in a Jewish worldview, in a biblical worldview, in a Hebraic worldview, you can not only remember the past, you could remember the future. What? How can you remember the future? Well, if God says it's going to happen, it's already happened from God's point of view. So when Jesus says, follow me to the margins of society, follow me to be a voice against injustice, Follow me to spend yourself on behalf of the oppressed. Follow me in obedience in a different way, in love in a different way than the rest of the world loves, and I will not forsake you, and actually it's going to go better for you than without me. That that's already happened from God's point of view. And it's not so much that we imitate Jesus from the past, but actually we follow him into the future. I mean, imagine if Michael Jordan could go back in time to, to junior high Michael Jordan. Right in that season, right after that, he doesn't make the, the team. You know that story? Michael Jordan at one point in his life didn't make it the team. Michael Jordan, the greatest of all time, right? Imagine a future Michael Jordan could hop on a time machine, go back to young Michael Jordan and say, trust me, it's worth you persevering. <laughs> Don't give up. I'm telling you, you can't see it now, but I've seen something some rings, some MVP. I'm telling you, trust me. And if you think that's true, if that could be something that currently Michael Jordan could say to past Michael Jordan, do you realize how infinitely more true is this? That the God of the universe, who knows all things, comes to you in this moment, in this instant right now and says, trust me, follow me. Follow me every day, Jesus says, and everywhere with everyone. And when you ground your life 
and your perspective in the hope that Jesus always finished what he starts. Philippians 1.6, I'm confident that God who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. When you ground your life in that, Paul says that's the beginning point. So put that right here, rejoicing in hope. But then he goes on. He says, be patient in suffering. Now the word patient isn't the word avoid. It isn't minimize. It isn't complain about. It's the word patience. Some translations say endure. Some translations say persevere. And the Greek language, that verb there, isn't a passive verb. It's not like, oh, just take it. Your afflictions, your suffering. It's actually an active verb. It's actually a verb that denotes movement and activity and engagement. The Apostle Paul says that on one hand, you should rejoice in hope and actively be patient in suffering. Why? Because Romans 5 says, suffering produces perseverance and perseverance endurance and endurance character and character hope. You see, there is a connection here between suffering and hope that you can't get rid of. You can't lose one without the other. And the Apostle Paul and all of Scripture shows us that actually God wants to do something in us in the midst of our affliction, in the midst of our suffering. That's why this message is different than any other message. Any other message that says you've got to avoid suffering, avoid pain, and do these things to get it out of your life. No, Paul says not only persevere in it, glory in it, because God's going to do something in you. I have this image. You know, like a guitar, ukulele, violin, any stringed instrument, there is a, a string made of different material that is connected on one end and one end at the other. Let's take my son's ukulele. He got a ukulele a couple of years for Christmas. And it sounds amazing when it's tuned properly, right? And on one hand, you've got those tuning pegs, right? And it goes up over the nut, down the neck of the ukulele, over a bridge, all the way down to the, the pins. And those two things anchor the tension of that string. And when there is that tension, you can actually make music. And there's certain times where it goes flat, and we've got to literally turn the peg of that ukulele to get it back in tune. Now, I want you to think about this. Rather than trying to avoid suffering in your life, what if you were to imagine it this way? The God who is good, that is for you, not against you, that is infinitely loving, is allowing you to be tuned to turn up the suffering in your life out of love because God knows that God can actually do something beautiful through it. That actually the cancer diagnosis that you have right now isn't because God has abandoned you. It's because we live in a broken and a fallen world and yet God is going to allow that if you allow him in and through you to do it for his glory. That the thing that you're in the midst of that you want to avoid, that you want to get out of, that you're wishful, thick and hoping that it's just somehow going to get away from it, that God would actually say, look, I am tuning you right now and there's this tension right now in your life and I want to use it for your glory. That you would experience the fullness of what God has for you. You see, my son recently, this ukulele I spoke of, 
He did to it what he's done to everything else. He doesn't like just playing with things. He likes standing on things. And he stands on the remote. He stands on my phone. He stands in my wife's heels. And on and on it goes. He stands on these things. And I hear one day just this snap from the other room. I go into the other room. He stood on the ukulele right on the neck. Broke it to pieces. Things were flying everywhere. No more tension between those two. In fact, things had actually somehow wound out of that peg and popped out of the pin down here, and all of a sudden, when you tried to play it, 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 was, just, it was just nothing. And the Apostle Paul says that there is this, this tension of rejoicing and hope, of not wishful thinking, but actually grounding your life in what God has promised will happen that God is good and for you, not against you. That when there's injustice in the world, that he will make it right. That when you are oppressed, he will see you. And yet at the same time, not only just enduring suffering passively, but you would be active in it. And Scripture says, and Mike read earlier in Hebrews 13, it says that we should suffer with those that suffer. That we should actually not just run to suffering in our own life, but that we should run to the suffering of others. And when you live in that tension, there's this place in between that Paul says, and it's this. Take a look. Romans 12, 12. That last little section. It says to be constant in prayer, to persevere in prayer. Some translations to be continual in prayer. Well, what's prayer? It's a dialogue with God. It's a conversation with God. That when you live in this place of, God, I'm going to trust you in the future. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I trust you because you hold it. And I'm in the middle of all this stuff right now, and there's people in my life that are going through all this suffering and affliction. I'm, I'm somehow going to engage in There's this tension. I don't know how to get through it. That you would run to God in prayer. What does that look like? You open up God's Word and you begin to listen to Him. This is God's Word for you. God is speaking to you. Look at Micah 6, 8. He's asking you to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly. Maybe some of you were discouraged in the season. Open up and listen to Romans 8. God says to the Apostle Paul, nothing can separate you from God's love. Nothing. If you're discouraged of things in your life, go to Philippians 1.6. I, I said it earlier, the God who begins a good work in you will carry it on to completion. If you wonder where this future is that we're all headed to, open up Revelation 21. It's goodness, it's joy. There's no sadness, no death, no tears. Swords used for war will be beaten. The plowshares for cultivating the earth. You see, actually, when you listen to what God has to say, and then you begin to, to reflect on that and internalize it and say, okay, Micah 6, 8, God, how am I doing with justice, and am I that merciful, and I, am I that humble? And you'll actually see that there's a gap between who you are and who God wants you to be. And then you begin to pray, God, change me, help me to want justice more, and to seek justice, and to seek mercy, and to walk more humbly. Help me to be reminded that you love me, that you're for me, not against me. You see, the more time that you spend in prayer, constant in prayer, not focused on your suffering, or focused on the things that you wish you had, but constant in prayer, actually your life will begin to sing. It will be a beautiful melody that will actually reverberate not only through your life, but also to others. 
You know, there's so many stories of this happening right now, but I want to show you one in a moment where we see people in their desperate need being met through people that are proactive in prayer. Take a look at this. Our romance story uh, began at Bel Air. Actually, we signed up for uh, the same mission trip. We went to Northern Ireland. And when we got home, he uh, called me up and asked me out. We're married <laughs> two years later at Bel Air. <laughs> when we'd started to, um, to try to have kids, uh, we weren't able to conceive right away. And, and then that started to make us worry because we knew, we knew some friends who weren't able to have kids. Just imagine not having a baby was really scary. I thought that that was my future. You know, and I, it was something I'd been so certain about my whole life, and then it was going to maybe not happen, so it was really scary. Marcy, this is Beatrice from Dr. Weisler's office. You are pregnant based on the test result. Our first response to finding out we were pregnant might have, might have been shock. We were still being very protective of this news. We hadn't told anybody, I don't think. There was just a sense of, I don't know if my body is going to be able to carry this baby to full term. Bel Air had a service uh, where he prompted people in ministry to stand up and pray over the congregation. So we gravitated towards this woman who we later learned was named Karina. The Holy Spirit just prompted me uh, to go after service and to pray for the Spurman specifically. And at that time, I didn't know what I was going to say. I just knew that he wanted me to go and pray. She's like, forgive me if this sounds strange to you, but I am getting a sense that God wants me to pray for you. I just heard God saying, pray for CH. So it just kept saying, chuh, chuh. And so I was asking them, is there someone in your life who has the name of China or Charlie? Or I couldn't, you know, I couldn't quite get what it was, but I just kept hearing CH, CH, CH. I had this moment of, oh my gosh, I think that she's trying to pray for my child. I couldn't say anything in the moment. I was just like, oh, okay, you know? And um, so she held our hands and she prayed for me and prayed for this person and their health. And I, but I knew in my spirit, like God saying, I'm, she's praying for your child. And she left before we even had a chance to like discuss it any, anymore. And I had a sense of like, was that, did that really happen? Is she real? Was she an angel? At the Palm Sunday service, we still had not seen Karina again in person to be able to tell her the good news that we realized she was praying for our child and that we were pregnant and we hoped to see her. But the likelihood felt small because it was so many people in one service, like how would we find her? The service let out and people started flooding towards us. I saw her blonde hair walking towards us. It was amazing and so fun and we both were so overwhelmed. I think we were talking over one another, telling her the story. And I was just flooded with 
emotions from the Holy Spirit. I just felt so, so humbled, so loved, um, so honored to be used in that way. As a parent, one of my biggest desires is for Isaac to develop his walk with God and know him in his own way and have a personal relationship with Christ. And I just feel like because that happened when he was just developing in my womb, just it's just a reminder that God is with him and is blessing him. And just to be able to later be able to share this with him is so special. Like any story, you can look at that through many different angles. And I want you for a moment collectively to look at it through Karina's lens. Somebody who began to develop a life of prayer. That she was constant in prayer and she persevered in prayer in a way that actually spilled over outside of her own life. But she began praying for others so much so that she would actually walk up to somebody else and pray for them. And the domino effect it's already having. And I know Marcy and, and Kevin and how that's grown their prayer life and how they're becoming more constant in prayer as a result as that spills over into their son's life in ways that we have no idea what it's going to look like. But imagine what it would look like if every single one of us began to develop that rhythm of life as we rejoice and hope, as we are enduring and persevering in suffering, that we would also persevere in prayer in a way that would spill over in our lives so that we would pray for other people around us. Miracles will happen. At the same time, let me say this. I've seen people pray for somebody with cancer and miraculously they're healed. I've seen where people pray for somebody with cancer and they lose their life more quickly than the doctor anticipated. I've seen personally where we prayed for somebody that had a broken collarbone that two and a half years later as they continued to get more and more x-rays that when they finally, after laying hands and praying for that person, they went and got an x-ray and the doctor said, I can't describe it, I don't know what. It looks like they've never broken a bone. And just last week, we saw all that scar tissue and yet at the same time, we've prayed and laid hands for people for one thing and then they go into the doctor and they discover more things. You see, when we persevere in prayer, this is not about actualizing just the things we want, but it's about grounding our hope in the one that holds our future, that is good, that is perfect, that heals. The question is, when will God heal and how will God heal us? Collectively, he's going to heal us for all of eternity. And some God chooses to heal miraculously this side of eternity. But as we rejoice in the hope of the one that is good and sees all things far beyond what we do, and as we navigate and walk through those suffering moments, we can be a people that runs towards the suffering in our own lives and each other's lives. And imagine the domino effect that will happen if we persevere in prayer. One quick and easy thing that I have for every single one of you. Hopefully this was handed to you as you came in. If you didn't get it as you came in, it says pray at home. You can get this as you are leaving. There's people in your life that don't know Jesus. 
And some of you might say, what's wrong with that? Well, Jesus is everything. He gives you true hope and true peace and true joy and true satisfaction and true purpose. And would you take this home and would you fill this out? Maybe five names of people in your life, friends, family, coworkers, neighbors who don't yet know Jesus. And you would pray for them that they would come to know Jesus. And they would pray that God would use anything in God's power, even use you to be a witness to the hope of who he is. You see, when you do this, when you actually fill this out, it actually gets you focused outward, praying for things that God longs for us to pray for. Maybe some of you don't know Jesus. Put your name on top of that list. I'm praying for me that I come to know Jesus. Well, how do you know Jesus? It's the simplest thing on earth, the hardest thing on earth too. Because what you do is you lift up empty hands of faith, not your works, not your good deeds, and you say, I've got nothing. That's why it's hard, because a lot of us think that we've got everything. You say, I've got nothing, God, and I need you. I believe in you, I trust you. I don't know fully what that looks like, but I believe Jesus died for me out of love. And scripture says that in that instant, you're saved. You're part of God's people. God's spirit now dwells in you. God will begin a work in you that will carry on to completion. He'll give you the resources and the power and the love for all of eternity that you can live into the rest of your life. I'm praying that for you. I'm praying for that for those in your life as well. The second thing we can do is this. You've got that? Second is this. Come with us to Mexico. I don't get to say that very often. Let me be more focused. Come with us to Tijuana. You see, often we don't run to people who are suffering. And what we want to do is we want to run to a community in Tijuana. And let me say this. Here's the reason why I want to go. I don't want to go just to build houses. I want to go and I want to learn how a group of people who don't have a lot of the things that I take for granted still have phenomenal joy. And I want to learn from them as I serve alongside them. This is what I long for, that I would actually grow and be able to rejoice in that hope, that I would be able to persevere and be patient in suffering, that I would be a person that perseveres in prayer. This is the last week to sign up. All the information is your bulletin. We've got people on the info booth outside that would love to talk to you about it. Come with us to Tijuana. Begin praying for people in your life. This isn't about trying harder. This is about allowing God's spirit to grow us in those areas. So let's pray to him to give us that willingness, that desire, and that ability. Let's pray. God, I'm reminded in Scripture of one who says, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. And God, I'm reminded of how these things can exist at the same time. So God, on one hand, we want this kind of life. But help us to want it more. Help us to want to be a praying people. Give us the desire to put our hope in you. Give us the desire to persevere in an active way in the midst of our suffering for your glory. God, would you do a work in and through us in this place and in this week, wherever we go, as we follow you every day and everywhere with everyone. 
In Jesus' name, amen.